Alrighty, so we're gonna start, and um, before we hop into the month of Adar, I'd like to kind of give a, a background on this week. This week is uh, the reading uh, is Truma, which is very. It's a very good place to be in in this book of uh, of, uh, of Shemot, and in the book of Shemot, yeah, you're surprised that that, that you're surprised that this is happening. Yes. Okay. Anyways, uh, so in the book of Shemot, the half of the book of Shemot talks about what? Being in exile. And the other half of the book of Shemot now talks about being in redemption. So we, we're in that point right now that we came out of Egypt. We, we crossed the Yamsuf, we received the Torah, and now is the ultimate redemption happening during this half of the book. That's why it's called, really in English, it's called the book of Exodus, which is, which is not accurate because it's really the book of also exile, book of exile, Exodus. So in Hebrew, it's called Shemot. But um, the Rebbe explains why it's called Shemot, for, not, not for now. But basically, this Parsha is Truma, which has to do with the Mishkan, the tabernacle being built, and God's presence residing down in this world. For God making for himself a, a physical structure that he could become, chooses to become uh, confa- confound, not confound, God isn't confound by anything, but paradoxically found in, which, be, which means that God chooses, wants to be known in the world. And where's God known into, in the world, which is really the whole story of of redemption if we think about it because exile is god's uh, aloofness from the world and from our lives where we we don't have we don't see the clarity we don't see things and when god is in the world then now that's the that's the place of redemption because that's ultimately the way it's supposed to operate that we should see that revelation which is the way it was in the garden of eden where we adam and eve felt and knew that this is, this is paradise. God is here. That's a state of redemption. Yeah. God is an exile, and we are an exile. It's actually, it's actually both, both inter, interwoven in, into each other. It says in, uh, it says in the book of um, of Dvarim, in Parshat Nitzavim, it says Yeshiva Shem Shvutcha that God will return your your cast ones. Shavutcha and says Ashuv, and then I will return. I will return once you return. So the exile of the people, the Jewish people, and exile of the Shekhinah are interwoven with each other. And that's why when we when we have a piece of redemption inside of us as individuals, we also bring a part of redemption to the entire collective. When we do our inner inner work. And so that was the story of the, of the Mishkan, is for God to, be, to become known in this world, in existence. So how's that done? It's done through donations of 15 types of things. There's wood, there's lumber, there's, there's silk, there's, uh, there's, there's, there's gold, there's silver, there's copper, there's all types of stones that, that were donated, all types of other wool and 
all these things were, were all amassed by the, by the people, by the Jewish people. They amassed all of these incredible um, uh, orchestra of giving. That was really what it was, that the, the Torah puts it, that it was just giving, heartless giving. Could you imagine? Like everyone is just going there. They're like, God wants to be known here in this world, inside of us, in our existence, in our finite existence, humanly existence. That's, that's incredible. What could I do? How could I be a part of this? And each of them contributed. Each of them made this, all collectively made it happen. And they brought from what? From the, from the physicality of, their, of what they had. Yes, that was, that was actually, there, there was a little bit too much that was donated, in fact, where Moshe has to, had to say enough, because we wouldn't want to have a donation and it's not in use, because if they're donating, they're giving, and the real donations, it's, it's, it has to do with the heart, and by the way, it's a very beautiful teaching on this, like, how did Moshe know what to use for what part of the Mishkan? So Moshe actually felt the giving, the givingness, the heart giving of each individual. He felt that wool, and he's like, "That has to go on tabernacle. It's just too pure not to." And then, and then he maybe felt another thing, and it was like, "Okay, it's gonna go. It's gonna go on the outside a little bit. This person needs to feel how to how to be able to be more of a giver." But that's a process. That's a transformational process. But there was called nedivli there was the heart that was felt in the, in the donation, in the giving. And so it all had to be used. So there was an excess of donations, which in fact was very interesting. It says that the Nisim, the leaders of the tribes, were the only ones that didn't give, which, which is crazy, which is, a power, which is incredibly like, ridiculous. They're the leaders and they're not giving. How's that possible? Because they said, you know what, we're the big shots over here. And they were. Each, each one of them were like billionaires. I mean, they were spiritual. They were holy people. And, but they had, they had, again, they had this like shefa of, of, in the world on all levels. They were, they were the leaders of the tribes. They were nasi. They were uplifted from the rest of the people. They were, you know. And so they said, Moshe is making a call. And like, you know, all of us, the 12 of us could get together and just make this happen between a couple of checks, like done, you know, or even one, you know, a couple of people could just make this happen. Right. And they were like, you know, but the people have to do it. Let's let the people give and whatever they don't give, we're going to, we're going to fill it. We're going to fill it up. And what happened was, is that they gave it all. The people gave it all. And the Nisim were left without a Yud in their names, as the Torah says. The Nisim, they were called Nisim from the word. There's another way to say clouds is, is, is like Nisim is another word for cloud without a Yud. There's Anan, but also Nisan, Nisim are also clouds. And they were spelled without the Yud because they were a little bit too much in the clouds when it came to this. They had to have been a part of it. They were like, well, let's put, let's put, hundred grand in let's put like a million like we could do that like each one of us and let the other people give but they were like no let everyone the little shots give 
And then we're going to, but that's not a pure way of giving. That's not how it was supposed to be. And so they were the only ones that didn't give. And that's why later on, when it came to um, a different donation, they were, they were the first ones to give in the, in the, in the temple, like afterwards. They, they gave the, the korbanot, but they, but they gave the nesim. And by Hanukkah, we read the nesim, right? We read the nesim on Hanukkah, each one of them each day. And um, no, so when it came to giving the other uh, other items, well, I'm just trying to think right now what, what it was. They 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 were like, okay, we're doing this first. You know, they wanted to make sure. Okay, so now having said that, so that gives us a very important perspective on what the Mishkan was. It's a dwelling place for God in the physical world, where the people gave from their own physicality, from what they had literally for a higher cause and that higher cause now got that godliness infinite light of the creator now became manifested and dwelled within creation within the physical world so it's not by accident or coincidence that parsha truma always falls out around adar the month of adar we always have truma going on why is that because adar and Truma have the same concept, have the same motif, whatever, idea, inner idea. And the idea is that the month of Adar means Aleph Dar. Adar is that, the, that God resides in this world. And it says, Mishenichnas Adar, what? Marbim besimcha. You're supposed to be happy. You're like, Mishenichnas Adar. You're like, well, yesterday was... The 29th of, well, this year was, was um, we had two days Rosh Chodesh. Yeah, so I guess Lamed. Yeah, so yesterday was the 29th of Shvat. And it's the same thing as now. So why am I now Maribim B'Simcha? Why now? What's the day that really, why is it the month of Adar that has such a significance on, uh, on being joyous? So the answer is that when we realize that God resides within this world. That's the greatest joy there is. To know that there's no no randomness, that things aren't happening without a guiding hand, without everything being looking the way the way it's supposed to be, and 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 being like to the T, to the detail, everything, everything, and. Is, is all him manifested and everything. He knows even more than us what we need. And, and, and to know that is the greatest simcha. And conversely, the opposite of that is the worst exile. To think that there's no God. And as it says over there in um, also Nitzavim, that God, that we say that we think that God has left us, that God like just left us, and that's the that's the worst um, fear and uh, thing that that could happen. So the opposite is knowing that God is with us at all times. So, so now, so the month of Adar is uh, 
is interconnected to this idea of Aleph Dar. Adar Marbim Simcha. And essentially, there are three types of, of um, miracles that we have. Three levels of miracles. One level of miracle is a miracle that is above nature. Another miracle is there's a miracle within nature. We look back and we're like, we didn't see God, but then we saw it was something happened. And then the third level of miracle is that nature itself is a miracle. Creation is a miracle. So let's go through them. The first miracle is miracle, which is above nature. That's the miracle of the sea splitting of Joshua, Yoshua holding up the sun right? All these incredible miracles that happened for, uh, for the Jewish people in the Tanakh, which defied nature. So although that is great, unbelievable, but from that level of miracle, we don't necessarily become transformed, changed. We do become changed on a certain level for a certain amount of time. We're inspired, we're moved, we're awed. And that's why we need these type of uh, situations and, and people that, that really show that type of like above nature, which is like tzaddikim, basically. We need tzaddikim in the world. And that's why we're living now in such a time of concealment that we don't have like those level of tzaddikim that we had in previous generations that we could just go to. You're like living in a generation where the Rebbe, the Baba Sali, Rebbe Aaron of Bells lived, the Satmar Rebbe, like, you know, the Baba Rebbe, the, the, the Kalavar, like all these like Sadiqim that you just go there and, you know, Kurdish, the Skalena Rebbe. She grew up with the Skalena Rebbe. The, the, the old Skalena Rebbe, not, not the one that passed away now. In Barra Park, you imagine a tzaddik like that 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 made it through, that she saw she saw. You imagine like what was going on in at, at one in the morning, at two in the morning. You know, tzaddik staying up, meditating, learning, talking to Hashem. I don't want to keep up the prayer because I expect a week. Please share. He, he insisted that they bring the women, my mother, the women, my mother, and I, my aunt, that they should bring chala from the chala from the table. This is the woman that when he cut up, he cut up slices. Yeah. Remember to send, and my mother and me are standing in the kitchen. She remembered to send us the chala. It's like, He's like this big rabbi. He's, you know, everybody's like running and jumping on him and excited. But he insisted that we should get this one, get a piece of challah from him. Yes, right? of course. It's like a different mentality altogether. That's a tzaddik. A tzaddik is like knows the sensitivities, is aware, is not. Uh, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a sensitivity, and it's a different level of like, you know. Yeah. So, anyways, so. So we need the above nature and tzaddikim like that. There were tzaddikim that that were above nature. I mean, like almost like miracle workers. The, there's there's a tzaddik, the um, 
what's it called? He was, he lived in Muncie, also the, uh, the Rimnitzer Rebbe. Like they were trying to do um, the, the blessing over the moon, which is once a month, you do the Kiddush Levana. And it was cloudy for like weeks and weeks and weeks. And they weren't able to do the mitzvah. And the Rimnitzer Rebbe they was like, okay. So he takes out his handkerchief and he goes like that. And the, and the, and the, the clouds open up. They do the mitzvah, they're done, and then the clouds go back. I mean, just miracles like... Yes, there are, there are. Yeah, there are. yeah. So, okay, yeah, well... Yeah. So that's, so that's what, so that's what, that's where we're getting to the second, the second level, because we need that first level, because we need that inspiration. But we can't, be inspiration junkies and just live by that because people are very much like dependent, could become independent, dependent on that, which is what the Rebbe actually said in 1950 when he took leadership. He said, if you think I'm going to be doing the work for you, you're wrong. Each person here has to do the work for themselves. And each person here needs to wake up, get out of themselves, do what they need to do. And don't expect me to do the work for you. I, it's like, I need you to do this with me. And I'm not going to do this for you. Right. But the, but the Rebbe, but the Rebbe pushed people, the Rebbe pushed people to the end of what, to the end of what they need to do and more. Yes. Yeah, the, the, he came to the rabbit. People are like, uh, okay, Rebbe, I did this. Or it was like, you want me to be happy with that? You, you need to, you could do even more. Face your, so, yeah. So what that did is it caused people to now look into their true capabilities. So you take a couple and now you send them off to uh, Russia or to Italy in 1950s or to, Morocco or to uh, Australia or to everywhere in the world. And they're like 22 year old, like little kids that are going out there and have to build a mikvah. They have to get kosher food. They have to fight that. Well, that's the job, but, but in between making it financially, making it, making it spiritually and, and doing even more. And making it making it into an oasis of godliness in the world. That's like pushing someone to the end of what they what they think their capacities are, and the kid and they have like children there, and 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 they still need to raise them, and 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 still have guests, and still you know do all these things, you know women's things, and 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 and, and events, and this and that, and do more. It defies the human, uh, what we think is our capacity of ourselves. Like our, our capacity could be, be so much more than what we even think that we're capable of, of doing. And, and that, is, that is what the Rebbe demanded of us. And that gets us to the second level of, of godliness or, or miracle that is found within nature where we look and we see nature, we don't see anything spectacular. But then we look backwards and we're like, this is, 
this is a miracle, which is the story of Purim, which is a story of Hanukkah, where it looked like just, it was just common events that this girl was taken in this month and then this happened and then the two people heard him talking and then Mordechai, the whole story of the Megillah is like, is a whole undercover within nature situation going on. God's name is not found in the Megillah, not even one time. It's not even at all. And there's answers for that because it was written by the Persians and it was written, perhaps it was, it was uh, one of the books of the Tanakh that would perhaps be in a, in a defiable type of a place because it was a chronicle type of a book. So God's name didn't want to have it in there, all types of things. But we know that it's Ashkacha Pratis. It's like divinely, it's ex- that God's name, the only book does not have God's name in it. Because the reason for that is that it's all God. It's not that God's name isn't in it. It's all, the entire Megillah is God. Every single word there is God. It looked like it was nature, but it was all God. It was all Him, which is that level of miracle within creation, that God is within creation. And that's that level of shlichos. That's that level of inspiration. We need that tzaddik who's above us. Yes, to get inspired. But we need that tzaddik that is able to take us within ourselves and do what we need to do and realize that nature is really above nature and that this world is not this world that we could just say, oh, it's a world. You know, it's just the same thing. But the word Esther is haster. God is hidden, but God is there and within the world. That Olam is Mashon Helem, but it's right, but it's really, it's really all him in it. It's just Aster. It's just hidden. And that's why we get dressed up on Purim. Why do we get dressed up on Purim? Because we're like, there's a concealment on the world. And then the whole idea is Aster is then Megillah to reveal the inner you. The whole idea of Purim is revealing our inner true selves and the inner true existence of the world is all Hashem. And if the, the existence of the world is Hashem, then our whole existence is also Hashem. Inner existence is just godliness. And that's our true inner concealment that we, the whole year we just have, you know, we have concealments we have this, this concealment, that concealment, and concealments to become and to, and to be ourselves truly. And Purim is that day. And, and obviously, we're going to go like deeper like uh, on, on a class on Purim itself, which we're, you know, really like delving into the significance of Purim is incredible because Purim is, yom, the Arizal says, Yom Kippur is a Yom Yom like Purim. So Purim is even higher than Yom Kippur. Yeah. Which the Arizal said this. So it's like, it's not just like the yes. To be very simply said, exactly. It's very simply exactly said. Um, But we need to understand it you know, why that, what is the simcha? So what is the real joy of Adar? And what's the real joy of Purim? The real joy of Purim is 
is recognizing that God is found within nature, which is, so that's the second level of miracle. And the third level of miracle, and that's a very, very high level that we're not going to see until the ultimate redemption is going to happen, where we see that that nature itself is really a miracle. That nature itself, like in other words, it's not just, okay, we're going through nature and then we see in retrospect that, that miraculous things are happening, but that nature itself, nature is just a code word for, for godliness. That the fact that the sun sets and then rises again and all of the seasons and every aspect of creation is God willing it to happen every single second. And there's this recreation of, of nature. So it's, it's, it's a miracle. It's not that, okay, there was the same thing yesterday and the same thing last month and the same thing last year. And it's just the cycle of everything, but it's not just the cycle. That cycle is that cycle of God willing that cycle to be a cycle of nature but it's all really, it's all really him. So that's the third level that we're not really going to experience until Mashiach comes. But on Purim, we get a peek into what it's like to live. And that's why we're supposed to drink a little bit of wine on Purim. And it's not about the drinking or it's not about the consumption. It's about getting to a certain level of what it says, libesume, libesume, being fragrant, being, being in a state of mind, of openness, of expansion, expansionness, expansion, that our minds are like not just, you know, intense and, and converged by by the by the rat rat race of 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 this world and by the worries and anxiety but opened up to realizing that there is a greater there is a greater um architect and engineer in this uh in this equation of of the world yeah well exactly that's exactly what that's you know what that is exactly the problem that's going on in in politics because when, when, when our leaders start going to, to God for that they're not supreme above everything, that they're, there's, they, they, they get something from, from Hashem, from above, then that's an unbelievable thing. And really, the, the Rebbe actually said this about, about, the, about the, you know, America, is that there's that, the, the founding fathers had this, 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 um, ideology of recognizing that we're all made in the image of, of God and it comes from it comes from him and basically that's the success that's the reason for the blessings of the United States and that's an incredible thing because the, the United States is way above any other country in the world in terms of uh, in terms of its economy and and Etc. But we're still going through such an unbelievable confusion of leadership, of politics, because now the now people are coming along and they're like, well, 
what are you talking about? What God? You know, that we, you know, we did this basically. It's us, you know, it's, it's, it's our choices and our, you know, who we are and it's, you know, whatever way we choose to live our lives and whatever you want to do and doesn't matter. And there's no guide to anything or rule book and it's all just whatever. And that's, that's a very dangerous place to be in. And then the other half is looking for thinking maybe there's, there is something higher and there is something better and, and um, definitely not perfect. But uh, but it's looking to godliness for for recognizing that there is that ultimate leadership that that we draw from, and so when and so when that truly happens, then that will be a day that will be that will be the days of of Mashiach basically, where we're, and so that's why we're going through so many difficult things right now, especially when it comes to politics. Here in Israel, we're on we're on we're on number three election. It's already like, God, just come on already. Just get those billboards off. You know, like like let's put other 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 things, you know, let's get things let's get on with 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 life already. Oh God. It's it's yes, it, it, it's it's already like it's already too much, insane. So. Yes, exactly. There's no leadership, and that's that's. That is it. You know, there's a lot of things people said. People said, and and yeah, yeah you know, that sounds. You owe me Mashiach. So there you go. There you go. Yeah. It's uh, unbelievable. Yeah. To Mashiach. Yeah, the, the Baba Sali gave to... Uh, Really? Uh, Rabbi Eliyahu. Really? Rabbi Eliyahu here? Yes. His father gave it to him. Oh, wow. Wow. Did you hear this? Uh, uh, Rhonda? Um, Rabbi Eliyahu from Tzfat um, has a clock from the Baba Sali that said when Mashiach is going to come. And he gave it to his father, Rabbi Mordechai. Yeah, and... Uh, Gave it to Rabbi Eliyahu, and that clock has has since like reached its time. It's on time. Wow! Wow! Yeah. It stopped, and now yeah, I don't know. It's on the on the. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're 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 there. We're 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 yeah. We're there. Baruch Hashem. It's Baruch just Hashem. a little bit more, like like the Rebbe said, like a little bit more what we, what we could do. Tilt the scale. Do like something else. Go beyond. Get get that little, you know, stretch. He had his, he had his outfit. 
Yeah. Yes. From a shia. Wow, Rabbi. Yeah, he has it here. Wow. Wow. And that's amazing that it came to Tzfat because Mashiach is going to come through Tzfat first. That's what the Zohar says, that Mashiach is going to come through Tzfat first. The Arizal speaks about it. Uh, Rabbi Chaim Vital has a vision where he saw the uh, Mount Nehron split open and Mashiach coming through, Sefer HaChezionot, and coming through from, from Rabbi Shimon, from Nehron, traveling up to Tzfat. And, 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 and from there, going to Tiberias. And uh, yeah, yeah, you're first, that, you know, that's the whole story of, uh, of Yocheved, of Safta Yocheved, that she, she, had, she, had, she had two cups of tea. She had a cup of tea uh, for herself and a cup of tea for Mashiach. That, and she constantly kept it. She got, again, she got the warm tea, she got the hot tea. She was like, people are telling her it's getting cold. Come on, you know, what are you doing? It's like, no, it's gonna come any minute. Is it going to be hundreds? So you said, like, at least, at least, you know, it, at least, yeah, it, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good place to start. You can always start with tea, you know? Um, so, yeah, so coming through, coming through Tzfat is, is where it's going to happen. So maybe, you know, go through, uh, you know, Rabbi Eliyahu's house, you know, grab the clock, Get get the get 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 the get the babasali garment or something. Yeah, and and go. His, his father was the chief rabbi of Israel. And Mordechai Liao was a very special kabbalist, chief rabbi, unbelievable. Yeah, I had my bar mitzvah in his shul in Jerusalem, Rabbi Mordechai Liao. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very special. Yeah, yeah. I, I read the Torah there in in his in his shul. Yeah, so that was a very special thing. He was yeah, special person. How long ago was Baba Sunny was in Yeah. Yeah, he pa- he passed in 1984. It's been a it's been a while. Yeah, 1984 is one. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and then and then and then he had a son, uh, Baba Meir, who was also very very holy. Uh, passed um, a couple of years after him, or I'm sorry, it may have been before. It was uh, yeah, yeah. He was a special. He said he said he. I'm sorry. He said he was a reincarnation of Rabbi Meir Balanes. Mayor, May. He just called him May, you know, Baba May. And so his son is the uh, Rabbi David Abu from Naria. The other one was Rabbi Lazar from um, from uh, Beersheva. Uh, so, yeah, from Beersheva. And he was unfortunately uh, killed by someone, Rabbi Lazar. It was a terrible, terrible thing. Like five, six years ago. Insane situ- situation. Um, yeah, but anyway, so Rabbi David is, is you know, lives in, in Naria. Yeah. And they all learned in Chabad. 
Rabbi David learned in Chabad in Morocco. Rabbi Meir sent his children there. And he had like correspondence with the Rebbe. And, and the Baba Sali had that correspondence with the Rebbe through t- telepathy and that they... Going on. He left this watch, yeah, uh, here in Svat. He's gonna have elections and he's not gonna have uh, government. <laughs> yeah. He left this well, well, yeah. The, the Gemara says the Talmud says that that when do you really know when it's times of Mashiach? When um, there will be no government. That's what it says at the end of of, of Masechet Sota in the Gemara. Yeah, that there will be like. A will be like government you know and you and you see it like like every everywhere in the world it's like you know we've never seen these kind of things steve about like presidency like okay i i i mean i you know i'm obviously younger than you know you've seen you know those presidents there was a certain respect for the president nowadays it's like if if you're just neutral it's it's being kind to the president but it's like I've never seen such words, you know, spoken to you know about 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 people. But it's like, let alone about someone that that's, that holds office to that degree, you know. It's like just disparaging and disgust. Like that's not respectful, you know. That's not respectful at all, like to to anyone, and especially someone of. So how do you expect? your kids to respect their teachers or to respect anyone when you don't, when the whole notion of respect was completely vanished from the lexicon of, you know, of kids in this generation where there's no respect at all. It's, it's, it's a horrible thing. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible thing. So, uh, Hey guys, welcome. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, so we're um, we're just talking about politics. Oh, fun! Yeah. <laughs> yes, that that you know that there's a certain respect that's been lost for uh, for the presidency and for and and not saying that anyone's perfect, but there's a certain lack of respect that when you disparage someone in that lo- on 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 that place, it is. Um, it's an it's an indicate or it's or it's very very dangerous to basically have a lack of respect for any form of authority, and uh, and that's you know that's a certain dangerous thing that could that could happen. Are we talking about the American president? Yes. <laughs> yes. We jumped right in. You know, and it's so and it's so uncomfortable because everyone is so loaded with like with with these. I used to speak to birthright groups here in the in the Senate, and we used to. We used to have like really heated kind of things going on. Like half the group is like very passionate. Like all these like millennial kids are like very passionate about about politics and about either pro or against, but like just going really, which is a good thing, which is shows like being and uh, and having an argument, learning how to have an argument is a really important thing. How to debate respectfully is a very important thing to do. Because yeah, debating respectfully is because when you have a debate and all goes emotional, then it's not a debate anymore. It's, it's already, it's already just like this heated argument, and it's like already not pretty to be a part of and to watch and to, 
And that's unfortunately what's what's been going on. It's like so turned. People are so turned off. It's heated, but it's but it's it's emotional. It just it gets to like a place of that's not even. Um, it's personal. It's not about the concept. It's not about like the, you know, we want to fix a certain system. So we we have to talk to talk about the concept about what we're going to do, not about, you know, the the personal like hatred that we have for each other. <sighs> I had to get that off my chest. Sorry. Ra- yeah. Rabbi. Yes. I actually had recently. I had recently heard someone explain that um, uh, Donald Trump is a Gilgul of Esav making reconciliation. That that when Esav and and Yaakov met, Esav, when he kissed Yaakov, wanted to make um, teshuva, but because Yaakov hid Dina from him, he was unable to do that, but Rab- that Rab- Rabbi Mendel Kessin, are you listening to Rabbi yes. Mendel Kessin? Well, yes, so yes. am I. So yes. am I, and for a long time. So you know all about all yes, so the Gilgul, sense, yes. right? Makes yes. so much sense, and that that you know the yes. era of Rava really was a fan. the Democratic Party and all of this. Like 19 yes. minutes into his presidency, they were ready to impeach him. He yes, hadn't yes, even yes, done anything. Yes, yes, yes. It's, 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 it's Rabbi. Yeah. Rabbi, she's yes. uh, talking about R- Rabbi Mendel yeah. Kessin. He's sure. an old timer. He got a shmita. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that from. Uh, yeah, yeah, from sure. Rivka, Rivka, Rivka Lampert from Breaking News Israel is uh, is a friend of mine. I mean, she, yeah, she she came to our house. No, but I, this is Kessin. This is Rabbi I know, I know, Mendel Kessin. She puts, Kessin. She puts oh, you know, stuff yeah, out yeah. on her website. Oh, she did. Breaking she News know Israel. that. Okay, yeah. You yeah, know, that's he, where that's where that's where you read this stuff. He's he's saying. He's saying that uh, from what he sees, he thinks Trump is uh, is a reincarnation of Marcus Aurelius, Marcus Aurelius. Uh, Antonius, okay, uh, who who helped the Jewish Caesar. people for twenty years, who, who allowed the mission of the Stoic philosopher. Yeah, and he was supposed and, and and he was doing the job yeah. of Esau originally, supposed to help yeah. the Jewish people, and now yes. he's back to help the Jewish That's- people. So that's, so that's the bottom line. So I, I've been, line. I've been thinking that myself, like that just came, it really came to me. I mean, you tell me that he's saying that, but that's something that I actually, I, I, we actually spoke about like the idea of, well, there was, there was Rabbi Yudah Nasi, the, Rabbi Judah, the, the prince that lived in Israel during the time of the, um, it was the uh, third, it was the third century. Uh, AD, uh, that that he lived over here, and it was already after 500 years of Roman rulership that the Romans were after dest- destroying the temple. The Bar Kokhba re- rebellion has been quelled, and uh, Rabbi Yudah Nasi writes the Mishnah because he knows that the Jews are going to be leaving the land. But in the meantime, there's a golden time in that time period where Rabbi Yudah Nasi was friends, best friends, with the Roman Caesar. Could you imagine being best friends with, I mean, the, the Romans destroyed the temple. They were the worst enemies of the Jewish people. So he says that, so in that time, there was that, um, the two brothers of Jacob and Esau, and Esau, Esau were now connected, were, were friends. That animosity was gone. So that was like a, a fixing of that, where the Rabbi Yehuda 
and um, and uh, and Marcus Aurelius, who was, by the way, a Stoic philosopher. I don't know if you know about Stoic philosophy, but it's kind of interesting, and it, there's a lot of very interesting kernels of um, of uh, of truth of 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 Kabbalistic ideas, actually. You know, for example, everything is the same. That's a Stoic concept that re regardless if you're happy or things are amazing or things are not going that well, like staying in that, in that static, it's, a, that's what people say, Stoic, right? But the Stoicism, like that idea, it doesn't mean not to have emotions, but, to, but it means not to be affected by the external world, which is very difficult because you have to be very, very centered. And so they were teaching that on a philosophical level. Obviously, that was not experiential. And that's why our uh, sages warn us against studying philosophy because philosophy is, could be very dangerous if, if, because it just remains in the intellect. So we could just do all these things and fine. But it's not just about that. It's about experiencing, which brings us to the actually more the Eastern religions are about incorporating these kind of, philosophy you know, can be helpful too. Uh, no, absolutely. And it could be, it could be. Yeah. No, me too. I, I, I do that as well. Right. I mean, I, I'm very, I'm very cautious though in the approach of how I study philosophy if I do. And the, the approach is because I want to essentially be connected to God. That's my highest truth, the biggest reason of, of existing. And so, and I want to deepen that truth on all levels, including, including my intellectual level of really understanding, comparing and getting to the kernel and then being inquisitive and investigative is very, very important for the human mind to actually thoroughly do. And so if one studies philosophy for the sake of, of understanding deeply with what we already know, so then that's, a, that's positive. And the Rambam did that. He studied Aristotle and he quotes Aristotle many, many times. He quotes Plato. And he says that Aristotle was, was a very, not, not just a genius. He was just a, almost there of, of, of reaching a certain uh, very high spiritual level if he would have allowed himself to. I mean, these people were, were um, Aristotle, for example, trained Alexander the Great to conquer the, the world. He taught him that if you want to be a fearless warrior, you have to be a fearless warrior in your mind. You have to be, you have to fight your inner lions that's inside of your heart. You have to fight, you know, you have to be brave. And that came from a very strong philosophy. It wasn't just, uh, they were just some superpowers, they, you know, they were very, very deeply ingrained with that. So that was his personal mentor um, that his father, his father took uh, for him as his, uh, as his, whatever. Uh, there's, yeah, there's, it's, so um, just coming back to, we kind of like veered in the, uh, <laughs> sorry, we veered in the, um, politics realm 
which, okay, so I just want to bring this back home to us. Um, this month of Adar is the month of joy. Why is it a month of joy? Because we find that God is found within this world, not on a theoretical level, not an out there kind of level, that God is found within our existence, within a very practical sense. So if that's the case, we're besimcha. That's the whole purpose of existence is the, is the tabernacle, God's shechina to be dwelling within this world and dwelling within our hearts because it says I will dwell inside of them, not just dwell inside of it, but dwell inside of them. That ultimately it's having God reside within our hearts, within our temples, within our existence. And so this month is a very auspicious month. So yay, it's an auspicious month. It's a very strong month. And we didn't really get to the month um, based on this class. The class is kind of different. So you could listen to it and just, it gets into different components of it. But, but the lesson that I wanted to extract from this is a very clear, simple, straightforward message that we need to take for us is that God resides within this world and within us. And this month is a very auspicious month for that, that we could say to ourselves and that we could say to basically the people that we're close with, like we're not, things are not random, that everything is meant to be, everything happens for a reason to really, I really believe it. I really could change that. I really could bring godliness in this world, not just on a theoretical level, but I could have God dwell here now within me, within the things that I think I can accomplish. I can accomplish. I have a question. Yes. Um, can you dive in a little more for like, like everything happens for a reason? Yes. Because in the, in the way that I've lived my life so far, it's, I've been showed that my, by my experience that things happen and it's about your strength that gets you through it or doesn't get you through it. And I'm not sure how that connects to things happening for a reason because that's like that's not something you can test. It's not something you have control over. Yes. So that's an amazing question. And that, that comparison of the two is the harder you work. So the results that you, you know, you get the results seemingly that, you know, you put in no, no pain, no gain. So there's, there's the element of no pain, no gain. But yet, you could put in all the work and then not get the results. Like I have friends, I remember I, I had a really smart uh, classmate that went to UFP, which is an Ivy League school, graduated in some, I don't know, got some, you know, some degree in whatever it was. And basically right after you went to UFP, right? Is that possible? No, sorry, okay. Um, and right afterwards, he couldn't get a job for like five years. I don't know why, I, like, I don't know what it was really, but I didn't, I didn't like delve into it, but meaning he put in all this effort, but nothing really matriculated. So you could do all the things and you're going against brick walls. You're going against dead ends. The reason for that is because you're not allowing this synchronicity, this godliness, this, we don't, you know, we'll call it synchronicity. 
that happens, that happens that is above us, that everything is interconnected, that, no, that nothing, is, nothing is random, that everything, everything is connected. Now, we mostly don't see it externally. And like we said before, you actually we spoke um, about this holiday of Purim, that that's the whole idea of Purim is this, this idea that it looked like it was just an event that happened. It looked like current events. It looked like the Sunday paper saying this, and then this is going on there and things are unfolding. But then yet, when we put all the dots together, like, that's crazy. How did all that happen? And, and the truth is that, that in our lives, even though we, we hit brick walls, seems like we hit brick walls. It, that's also synchronicity. That God is just basically telling us that there's a, either a greater truth that needs to be found or either you need to work even harder or maybe if you're, if you're really able to rise to the occasion and, and, and just collect from this infinite source of interconnection and where, where you're basically drawing down the effects and manifesting the effects instead of you causing the effects to happen. So when, when one reaches to, to that occasion, and it's a, it's, a, it's a level of mindfulness that one um, works on, needs to work on, and, and, in, and, in, um, and in Kabbalah and in Judaism, and you learn, there's, the, there's the process of, of learning, of growing, of uh, sticking to a regiment of, you know, of life, of spiritual life, and when you stick to it, despite the obstacles, then you come to a certain um, plateau of kind of constant, being constant in a certain place. Yeah. And that level of being constant, now if it's done right, because a person could then sink into just regiment and just regiment, doing the thing over and over again, and just being like, I'm just, that's my job, I just do regiment. I just go to work, I make the bagels, and I just do this, and I just go to work, I just put on the tefillin, and I just do this, and I just go home, and I So every mitzvah draws down great light, for sure. But when it's done in a, in a more of a mindful way, and that's the whole idea of kavanan, learning Kabbalah, and learning Hasidut, is opening ourselves up to something higher than ourselves, then, then that light that we do, the mitzvot that we do, and the Torah that we do, draw down their infinite capacity within us and give us the ability to do unbelievable things. So mindfulness, you, would, you say, is godly? It's, it's, yes, it's reaching into, well, it's reaching into, there's two com components of it. It's reaching into our ability to first quell our minds, which is very difficult nowadays, because keeping, being even in a, quiet place where our minds are not racing a hundred miles an hour and thinking about the next like push notification that's coming along or the next like email or the next like Facebook or the next Insta. You're like, you're like, hello, I do have a mind over here. And, and stopping that, that race is a huge thing to, to do. And which is why like prayer is built into the spiritual regiment that we do every day and real prayer is really a, a, a practice of mindfulness that we have. 
and um, and meditation and Jewish meditation, you know, and getting into that. We just had like a weekend last week talking about it. Um, but prayer is definitely that. And so quelling our minds is the first level. And then when we're able to do that, then we could re reach into that synchronicity place, which is divine, which is godly, which is something which is above us, how everything is really interconnected. And so that is the joy of Purim. That's the unbelievable holiday of, of Purim, where we're, we were in a place that we were hitting like dead ends. Like this was going to happen. Esther was caught. The, you know, the Jewish people are going to be, this is going to happen, all this negative stuff. And then we were like, no, let's go above this. And they fasted and they prayed and they went above nature in a sense, opened themselves up to infinite potential. And not only did the bad thing not happen, but it completely transformed into something good. It was all good. It looked like it was bad, but guess again, it was all for the good. Complete transformation, party time. Like, go. That's Purim. Purim is the best holiday. <laughs> if we could, yeah. As we mentioned, like Yom Kippur is like Yom. Yom Kippur is like Purim. In other words, it's secondary to the holiday of Purim, which is so amazing, so incredible to think about. And we'll, we'll talk about it in a different time. Okay. An inner truth. Yes, because the inner truth is the bigger truth. Yeah, the inner truth is the bigger truth. Okay, so yes, so we're gonna be on Shabbos. We're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about the uh, actually simcha about ha happiness. He's that yeah, twelve fifteen. Okay, all right, great everyone. So wishing you an, a great month, unbelievable new month, month of transformation, month of growth, month of tapping into ourselves and into the deeper truth, and being able to manifest that amazing light within our, ourselves and um, wishing you many blessings and, uh, and see you again next week. And 